Welcome to Guerrilla Discipleship. I'm your host, Kevin Baker, and I'm glad you've joined us again this week. Uh, I pray every Thursday morning with a group of, uh, of folks that want to see a disciple-making movement happen in Maryland. And uh, one of those guys uh, that I pray with is a guy from the eastern shore of Maryland called Steve Adkins. He doesn't know I'm, I'm uh, quoting him in this at all, but um, Steve led our time of prayer and he started us with uh, the story out of Luke chapter 5, where if you remember this story, Peter, uh, who's a professional fisherman, he's been out fishing all night long. And he comes in after a, a night of fishing and he's got nothing. He has no fish. And um, Jesus comes down to the shore and he, he gets into Peter's boat and he teaches from uh, Peter's boat. He just pushes off from the shore uh, a little bit. And, um, and he sits down, teaches the crowds. And then after he's done teaching the crowds, he says to Peter, hey, um, I want to ask you to put out and to go back out into the deep water here of the lake and and basically put your net down for a catch. And Peter, I'm just gonna read it uh, here, says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now, Steve made the point, and I think it's a great point. Peter's a professional fisherman. You fish at night, right? The chances of catching fish uh, in that area were greater at night than they were in the day. And if you didn't catch anything at night, you probably weren't going to catch anything during the day. So Peter knows how to fish. And yet he's confronted by this rabbi that he doesn't know. This is the beginning of a relationship. He doesn't know him well. Who Rabbis aren't fishermen, right? Rabbis don't know where the fish are. Rabbis, uh, they've, they're, they're, you know, Fishing was kind of blue collar and rabbis, man, that's white collar. These are the these are the learned people. And so, man, you could just imagine Peter. I can imagine Peter anyway, thinking in his heart, oh, this guy doesn't know anything about fishing. And it seems as if he goes just out of respect for Jesus. It's like, because you say so, you're a rabbi. I don't want to be offensive to you. We'll go out. And Steve made the point, and I want to pass it on here, that I, I think this is a struggle in disciple making that all of us have to confront. And that is that most of us, probably most of you that are a part of uh, guerrilla discipleship, you've, you've been raised in the church and we know how church works. We know what church is supposed to look like. We've been told, we've, we've seen it in our parents and in our grandparents. And, you know, in some respects, it's almost uh, funny and, and sad all at the same time that in many ways, some of how the church functions hasn't changed even from our grandparents' day. Sure, we have nicer buildings and different equipment, but we're still being church like our grandparents in many ways because we're just, this is how you do it. And Peter probably learned how to fish from some older men who taught him how to fish. And they learned from people who learned. And, and so there is this sense of, of wisdom. There's nothing wrong with that, right? There's a sense of this is how it's done. And we want for those skills to be passed from one generation to the other. The problem with that for the church is, is that Jesus, Jesus makes the difference in everything. And when the master tells us that we should put our net out again, that we should fish in the daytime instead of the nighttime, he doesn't actually change. And here's the interesting thing. It's not like he says you should never fish the old way. The old way is wrong. He just says, Peter, I want you to know who I am 
And so I'm going to invite you out into the lake right now in a way that will go against everything that you've thought and learned and know about fishing. Why does Jesus do that? Well, I think Jesus wants us constantly to remember he's the Lord of the universe. And what that goes against, and this was the point my friend Steve was making that I think is so helpful for those of us who've grown up in church, is that Jesus may be asking us to do some things today in making disciples that are really against our own professional logic. I'm a trained pastor and and I've been trained right on what church should look like. And so many of us are just dead set on what the church should be doing. And notice that word should. We We are absolutely convinced. We know how the church should do. In fact, we get frustrated sometimes with the lack of fruit and we blame we blame the culture, like the harvest just isn't coming in, right? It's, it's not our problem for doing ministry this way. It's really that the, the, dang, the dang fish just won't bite, you know, that kind of a, of a reality. And so we will persist in doing what isn't working because we know it's what should work. Isn't that the definition of insanity? I'm going to keep doing what I know should be working, even though it's not working, until, by golly, it starts working. That's just insanity. And the church sometimes comes to the place where we have to admit that some of what we think and do really feels like insanity. That the truth is that that what worked in the 50s is not going to work in the 21st century. What what we need to look at is again, and this has been my mantra for 30 years, and it's hard in the church, is that we need to make sure that our message isn't changing. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel is relevant today, as relevant as it was to Peter in that first century. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, forever. None of that changes, but our methods are going to change. Our methods of, of figuring out how to be effective in helping people to to draw close to God, to hear his voice, to understand who Jesus is. It's like language, right? You, You can't keep speaking the same language for every culture. Every culture has its own language. And we do have to contextualize the gospel into the setting in which we find ourselves ministering. It's a hard process. It's a missiological process, which is just a fancy way of saying this is what missionaries have to struggle with. And here's the piece of guerrilla discipleship that I really want everyone to get clear. Every person in the church today has to think like a missiologist. We have to think like mission missionaries because the mission field is right in front of us. It's not over there. It's not somewhere far off. The mission field is right in front of us. And we swim every day, every single one of us swim in multiple cultures. There's a, there's, let's think about the cultures that exist in our, in our world today. There's the culture of celebrity. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants a lot of followers. And, and how do you bring the gospel into the culture of celebrity? There's the culture of science where we just believe, you know, we hear today over and over again, follow the science as if there is some truth out there, scientific truth out there that if we would all just follow it, man, but why are some people, and here's the reality, science isn't a fixed thing. Science is a process of discovering God's truth. 
Let me say that again. Science is the process of discovering God's truth. And science has all ongoing correction built into it. That's the definition of science. Science continues to, to make hypotheses and prove uh, their hypothesis only to later find out, oh, well, we, we actually were wrong in that hypothesis. We need to change because there were factors that we weren't seeing. So science, follow the science just means, let, you know, let, let's, but what happens in our culture is that science, that culture of science means that anything to do with supernatural religious is really just nonsense. It's ignorance. And that's the culture of science. And that's a culture that we encounter every day. How do you introduce the king of kings, the, the supernatural God of, named Jesus to a culture of science, right? How do you do that? We don't want to change Jesus, but we want to make Jesus accessible to a culture that doesn't believe in God. There's the atheistic culture. Then there's the just uh, uh, new spirituality culture that's all around us where people basically just decide to formulate their own spiritual truth. They, they take from several different spiritual streams and form a, a worldview out of that that they live in. How do we make Jesus accessible to that worldview where, where Jesus is now just one God, one teacher? I wouldn't even say one God. He's just one teacher one prophet, one wise person, but there's many, there are many others. And so we all have to think like missiologists, which means we need to understand the gospel very clearly so that we can adapt our communication of the gospel to the audience, to the, to the folks that we're dealing with every day. Now, let me just say again, we, I want to make sure that you hear this. We are not, our job is not, the burden has not been laid on us to convince people to believe in Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. God is drawing people to himself. We don't have to convince them. But I do believe that we need to have the ability to articulate who Jesus is, what the good news is, in culturally relevant ways so that people can access the truth of the gospel. That's the hard work of missions, and it is now no longer just for a select few called to go to foreign lands. Every single person who follows Jesus must be a missiologist. I've said this before, we're located here in Montgomery County, Maryland. Montgomery County, Maryland is one of the most diverse counties in the whole of the United States. We have 100, uh, probably 150 cultures, nations represented right here. It's, it's a melting pot uh, of, in the larger melting pot of the U.S. Languages, so many languages are spoken. And so we need to be ready to understand how to communicate and make accessible or make Jesus accessible to the different cultures that are all around us. And it, it is not, um, it, it would be a, a, a sense of, of arrogance and foolishness to say, well, they need to understand this Jesus in my culture. When Jesus said to those disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, he expected them to make the commands of Jesus and the person of Jesus accessible to those who spoke different languages, who had different understandings of life. And that's now the work of every single churchgoer. You go to work and you have a culture at your work of success, maybe, and, and, uh, and, and money and prosperity. How do you make Jesus accessible in a culture 
that is performance-based when Jesus is grace-based. Now, I, I think everybody longs for grace. We all know we need grace. Even, even the highest achievers know that they fail. Uh, even the highest achievers understand that, um, that to be ranked or valued based on your performance is, man, it's just not a life-giving solution. So how do we make Jesus accessible? That's the goal. And, and part of what I think uh, Peter's lesson here with Jesus was, it, it's that we have to sometimes look at all of our understanding and our logic and be willing to let Jesus trumpet. We have to let Jesus be the, the deciding factor. When Jesus tells us to do something, it's like what Peter said, Master, we've fished all night. He was honest. I, I think he was respectful. We fished all night. Behind that statement, maybe was Jesus, was Peter saying to Jesus, and, and if you knew anything about fishing, you would know, if we didn't catch anything all night, we're not going to catch anything in the morning. But because you say so. You know, I think done with the right spirit, that is probably one of the most honoring statements of obedience we can all ever have. Jesus, this doesn't make sense to me, but because you say so. Jesus, I'm afraid to do this, but because you say so. Jesus, I don't even want to do this, but because you say so, I'm going to do it. That is what it looks like to have Jesus be the Lord of our lives. And the church itself, all, all of us who make up the church, remember the church has become an institution, but it was created to be a body. It's become a lifeless organization, but it was meant to be a life-filled organism. And so the church, which is just us, has to learn once again, over and over again, just like I do every day as an individual, the church has to learn every single day over and over again to lay our lives down, to lay our logic down, to lay what we know is best down when the Lord speaks and say, because you say so. Because you say so, God, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because you say so, I'm going to do this. Because you tell me, Lord, I'm going to make sure that, that we follow that. It, it, I could argue with you, and, I, and part of me wants to argue with you, Jesus, but I'm not going to argue with you because, you know, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are the Lord of the, of the universe and the King of my life. Part of what I think makes uh, disciple-making movement strategies so difficult for people is that it goes against what we've done for a long time, and we can't wrap our heads sometimes around paradigm shifts. The elements of disciple-making movements are so simple and biblical. Here are the seven elements, just reminding you again. The, the first element is to focus on God's Word, and to do that by reading God's Word by obeying God's word and by sharing God's word. How, how biblical is that? It just, DMM, uh, disciple-making movement might say, well, let's do it in different ways. Let's open the door. Let's do discovery instead of just having a teacher all the time. Uh, then the second principle is multiply extraordinary prayer. Is there anyone in the church that doesn't think we need to pray more? That, that prayer isn't important. It's just a biblical principle. And then, um, then there's the casting of vision. 
You know, the Bible says without vision, people perish. And so we're casting vision to other believers to help them get a, a, a reacquainted with this great commission that Jesus gave us to go into all the world and make disciples. We've, we've gotten so busy doing church, we've forgotten what our mission really is. And so is casting vision an unbiblical promise or a premise? No. And then we want to train up believers. We just need to get tra people trained. It's not, we, we haven't tra been trained by, most of our churches haven't trained us on how to um, be used of God to make disciples. In fact, I asked our staff, oh, gosh, several years ago, 23 staff members at the table, and I said, how many of you have been discipled? And two hands went up out of the 23. If we've not been discipled, then how will we know how to disciple others? So we, we train up believers in the simple practices and these simple sales on how to, to trust God and to listen to his voice and to see in the scripture the pattern of disciple making that Jesus did. And then we help people to go out among lost people, to go to where the harvest is. Jesus said the harvest is ripe. He's looking for laborers. Not to work in a factory, but to work in the harvest, in the fields. The church is the place where we come as the body of Christ to celebrate and praise and pray. But the harvest is where the labor happens. We've so often in our culture turned the, the things around that we expect the harvest to somehow supernaturally, magically come into the church and then we'll disciple them. But Jesus went into the harvest field. He went into the marketplace and he discipled people there and they became the church. That's what really the Great Commission is saying. Go into where lost people are, help them understand the love of God. And as they begin to surrender their lives and follow Jesus, they become the church. The church grows. We don't grow the church by getting lost people coming into the building and, and somehow magically they'll, they'll become the church. And so we, we, we train believers to go out to lost people. And we want to see groups start. You know, that really is another way of saying we want to see people become community around Jesus. Man, that's what happens so often, isn't it? The woman at the well goes back to her neighbors and her friends in the village that were probably pretty skeptical of her and said, you got to come see this guy. And the community comes out and they begin to be community with Jesus. So often in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when someone received Jesus or received the promise of the and the good news of Jesus, they would say, this is for you and your household. In other words, this is for community. We need com we were built for community. And so we see groups start around the person of Jesus and around the discovery of Jesus. And then what do we do? We provide ongoing what the what disciple making movements call ongoing coaching, which is really just ongoing encouragement, guidance, direction, prayer, fellowship, teaching, training. It just it just it deepens over time. Those seven elements are so biblical. I, I, I would just ask anyone to, to tell me what part of those seven elements aren't biblical. But the way we've deployed them in the church needs to be re-examined. We have been fishing at night for so long, and Jesus may be, listen, he may be coming along and saying, I want you to go in a, in a different way. He didn't tell them not to use the net, right? He said, take your net, take your boat, the things that you've been using, the practices of, of focusing on God's word, you know, multiplying prayer, those things are still there. 
but I wanted you to do it in a way that seems so foreign to you, that may feel like it doesn't make sense to you because it's so different from how you've been doing it. And watch how, watch how you might catch fish. I, I just want to plead with you as we continue in this, um, in this whole goal of energizing the church to go among lost people and to be spiritually obvious without being obnoxious, to be usable in God's hands, to see ourselves as everyday missionaries. That's what I'm asking. Everyday missionaries. I think that's what God's inviting us to see is that we've got to stop thinking that somehow there's a few evangelists that are, you know, that the, we got to just wait for the next Billy Graham. God has invited every single one of us to be everyday missionaries. Would you take up that mantle today to be an everyday missionary, to begin to ask God how to be usable in the day that you have, in the, in the life that you're already living. You don't need to go somewhere else. You don't need to change where you live and where you work. All you need to do is put on the heart and mind of Christ and say, I'm his missionary where I work. Wherever that is, at the gas station, at the bank, at the corporate office, at the school, there are people around you that need to know how to find Jesus. And, and how to know how much he loves them. They need the good news. So if all of us, if just even a hundred of us right now said in this moment, God, I commit to be an everyday missionary. Every day of my life, I will be a missionary for you. And I will, if you tell me to fish in a certain way, God, I'm gonna do it so that you might be glorified. People might be saved and loved and redeemed and reconciled and that the world may know the greatest news that the world has ever been told that Jesus is Lord and that he, he is worthy of our praise. Thank you so much for being a part of Guerrilla Discipleship. I pray and ask that you just, if this has in any way been a blessing to you, would you invite others, just send them a link so that they might look as well um, Again, I also you know, want to say if there's any topic, anything that you want us to talk about that would be helpful in your journey of becoming an everyday missionary, let us know. And uh, you can email me at kbaker at oakdale.church. God bless. Thank you so much for being a part. Have a great day. <music>